All right, well, we're in, the middle, we're in the middle of a series called Learning to Lead, where we are studying through the book of 1 Timothy, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to his young protege by the name of Timothy. And to start, we're just going to read this week's text from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. You can look down at your Bible, or they're going to put it up there on the screen. Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Handed them over to Satan. Yikes. You know, uh, sometimes as a guest teacher in a series, you're, you're really just at the mercy of the next verses that came this week. But like, why'd Jose have to ask me to do this one? Is he like pranking me? Come on, man. Is this like pastor jokes or something? Uh, so we get to endeavor as a church on uh, this eavesdropping of Paul's words of mentorship in his letter to Timothy. And as we do that, we're having a conversation about how all of us as followers of Jesus are called to be leaders. We've talked about how, you know, some of you have a leadership title, maybe in your home, you're a, a mom, a dad, a big sister, a brother. Others of you have formal leadership titles in your place of work. Maybe you're a teacher, a coach, or a manager like me. Some of you know I work as the vice president of an anti-human trafficking organization called Remember New, that this church supports us through a home in Myanmar, which we're really grateful for. What you might not know about me is that I actually have two jobs. Remember New is my main gig, but I also do some work on the side as a freelance commercial photographer, being, uh, you know, being that I work for a missions organization. I supplement my income to live in an expensive city like Portland by taking some photography jobs on the side throughout the year, kind of like tent making, to use that term that people use in the church. I don't know how to make tents, so don't ask me to do that. But here's the thing. A few years back when I was starting uh, to post a lot of my photography work online, I accumulated a little bit of a social media following, and I'll never forget the first time that a brand reached out to me to hire me, not as a photographer, but as a quote, social media influencer. And what's funny is they were a deodorant brand. <laughs> and how it worked is they came to me saying, hey, we're going to send you our product and we'll give you, I think it was like 50 bucks or something, to post a picture of me using their deodorant. <laughs> and this is marketing, brand placement. You know, the idea is that when my online community sees the kind of deodorant that I use, some of them are going to want to buy that deodorant because we all know that the most meaningful and universally shared human uh, experience can be achieved when we all have the same thing in our armpits. I mean, obviously... 
But isn't that a funny term, like the, a social media influencer? Like, we're all influencers, if you think about it. I'd venture to say the majority of you are on social media in some form. And isn't it interesting that on Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat, we all have followers? There are people following you. It's kind of creepy. Like, if we went back in time 30 years ago, and I was telling people, there is coming a day in the near future when every single day of your life, there will be multiple people following you on their phones and computers. That sounds like a nightmare, right? <laughs> but for better or for worse, we have followers. Unless, of course, you're on Facebook, because on Facebook, they're not called followers, they're called what? Friends, which we all know just because you're friends on Facebook doesn't necessarily mean you're actually friends. But let's not talk about that. That's awkward and a whole side tangent. The point I'm trying to make is that every day there are people watching you who are looking to you either for community or love or friendship or inspiration or personal hygiene. It's online and of course it's also in person, you know, in your family, your place of work, your school, your community. There are people watching you. And as disciples of Jesus, you and I have been commissioned, sent out as leaders in the world. Every single one of us is called to lead people to Jesus, to lead people in the way of Jesus. What are you doing with the influence that you already have right now in your life? Because every single one of you has some influence. Last week, Jose Gray gave a, a great sermon on some traits of a healthy leader, what it means to be a healthy leader. And if you missed it, make sure to go listen to the podcast, but I'll put up on the slide, these were his three main thoughts from last week. If you missed it, he talked about how healthy leaders are grounded in the truth, they learn to discern, and they're motivated by love. Now, what I want to do this week is I want to simply carry on that conversation. I'm going to give you three more traits of healthy leaders this week from Paul's example to Timothy and the writings of Paul. What can we learn from Paul's words to Timothy that is applicable to all of us today? And we'll work through that, and eventually, yes, we'll get to the whole hand them over to Satan, and what does that mean? I'm looking forward to that. Okay. First, you can write this down. Healthy leaders lead with humility. Look back at verse 12. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now in the previous verses, Paul was urging and exhorting Timothy, but at this point in the letter, he pivots all of a sudden into worship. And you know, Paul did this often in his New Testament writings where he's writing theology, giving instruction, and all of a sudden, he just stops to burst forth in praise to God, spontaneous worship. That's just who Paul was. And he praises God here specifically that God chose to use someone like him. And he's essentially saying, I can't believe that God trusted someone like me with the work of the gospel. I can't believe Jesus appointed someone like me to his service, his work. Why would Paul say that? Look at the next verse in verse 13. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, these are some incredible words written by Paul. Now, keep in mind, guys, this is the Apostle Paul talking. 
I mean, even secular scholars acknowledge that Paul is amongst one of the most influential leaders in all of human history in terms of his impact and his reach down throughout the centuries. I mean, the guy wrote half of the New Testament. Did, did you, do you know, you have to understand, the greatest selling book of all time is not Harry Potter. It is not the Da Vinci Code. The, the greatest selling book of all time is the Bible. There's been about 3.9 billion copies sold just in the last 50 years. And Paul wrote half of the New Testament. He's a legend. He's a bestseller. And at this point, when he's writing this, he was the leader of the Gentile first century church. I mean, he was at the top of church leadership. Everyone in the church was looking to Paul and wanted to follow his leading. And Paul says, yeah, I'm pretty much the worst. I am the worst sinner out there. Or other translations say the chief of sinners. What? Now, is Paul, you know, is this false humility from him? Like, is Paul just being dramatic here when he says this stuff? I don't think so. Paul is saying in verse 13, he says, I used to be a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And if you know Paul's backstory, which you can read about in the book of Acts, before coming to faith in Christ, Paul was the leader of this group of radical fundamentalist uh, Pharisees that wanted to squelch the early Christian movement so badly that they were going around imprisoning and murdering Christians. So before coming to faith in Jesus, Paul was a loser and he was evil. Okay, he was a murderer and he was a blasphemer. He was using religion to hurt and kill people. And specifically, he did it against Christians. He persecuted God's people. He was on the other team. And Paul, you see, since coming to faith in Christ, no matter how much he grows and succeeds as a leader in the church, he never forgets that. He remembers where he came from. Good leaders remember where they came from. They have a humble, level-headed outlook on their past and on their shortcomings. And Paul is praising God for God's ability to take someone like him with his past. And when Paul surrendered to Jesus in that powerful conversion he had on the Damascus Road where he put his faith in Christ for the first time, God poured out his grace in Paul's life to forgive him and entrust him with the work of the gospel. And it was like a 180 in Paul's life. I mean, Jesus completely transformed Paul once he humbled himself before God and started following Jesus. And then he became the Apostle Paul. In verse 15, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. He's saying, guys, what I'm about to say here, you can trust this. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank, man. And he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you know, that is at the center of the gospel message, isn't it? In order to come to faith in Jesus, you have to, as a human being, humble yourself and admit that you're a sinner in need of saving. And when you do that, when you come to God admitting that you're broken and asking for his grace and salvation, you know what God does? He pours out his grace in your life. That's what he does when you humble yourself. Now, I want you to understand the opposite of humility, of course, is pride, The Bible teaches that pride comes before the fall. Uh, this is what Peter says, for example, in his letter of 1 Peter. We'll put up there on the screen. He says, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God resists the proud. When you have pride, you know, when you're like, I don't need God, I'm going to do my my own thing, I'm going to go my own way. 
Uh, when you do that, you're keeping yourself back. You're keeping yourself away from experiencing God's grace in your life. But when you humble yourself before God and admit you're a sinner and you need a salvation, God is gracious to you. Uh, the Bible, by the way, wasn't written in English. It was written in the ancient Koine Greek language that they were using at the time. And I love uh, back in verse 14 of our passage today, when Paul says the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, Paul uses a word there that's actually very unique in the Bible. He uses a verb in that situation that isn't used anywhere else in the whole Bible. This is the only occurrence. The word is hyperipleoneison. Talk about a mouthful. No wonder that... Koine Greek has become extinct, but it means to be present in great supply or super abundance. When you humble yourself before God, he forgives your sin and he pours out grace on you like a fire hose in super abundance, grace, forgiveness, blessing, empowerment. He pours it out on you when you humble yourself. And in order to be saved and receive grace from God, you have to humble yourself before him, right? You have to do that in order to be saved. Uh, and in order to follow Jesus and keep walking with him, you have to then walk in humility. I believe the reason Paul was such a powerful leader is he led with humility. He's constantly giving the glory to Jesus instead of taking it for himself. He remembers where he came from, his past, his backstory. And guys, there's nothing worse than trying to follow a prideful leader, right? Have you uh, ever been in a situation uh, where you're under the leadership of an arrogant person or a prideful boss at work? Maybe an egomaniac. Some of you, I can see some of you are like, mm-hmm, right now, brother. Uh, it's so frustrating to try to follow someone who never admits when they're wrong uh, or who always thinks that they're right or, you know, when you have a good idea or accomplishment, your leader takes credit for that as if it was his or, or her own. There's nothing more frustrating than that in leadership, having to deal with an arrogant leader. But on the contrary, we are drawn to people who lead with humility, right? Who know their limitations and acknowledge their need for a team and treat people with that kind of respect. Someone who looks to empower others instead of just themselves. If you want to have godly influence in your own life and the people around you, then lead with humility, I've been blessed to have uh, a lot of great leaders in my own life, and every good leader I've had has led with humility. I think of Carl Ralston, who's the president of Remember New, uh, my boss right now. The guy was a very successful businessman. He would never say this. I get to say it, though. About you know, 15 years ago, he was essentially a self-made millionaire, and when God called him to go protect children around the world from being sold into the global child sex trade. He sold his business, and you know he gave away almost all of his capital to sustain and start the organization in those early years. And Remember New has now grown to 100 homes in 15 countries around the world, keeping children out of the child sex trade. I mean, Carl's endeavors have been very successful, but what always strikes me is his humility. He always gives the credit to God. He always like stops and makes it clear. He's like, no, like God did that. This is God's ministry. God's responsible 
for anything good that's happened with Remember New. And he leads in a way that is humble, where he's constantly asking for feedback. And he, he says things like, you know, I could be wrong here, and tell me if I am. But he leads with humility. He's a good leader. I think of Jose Zayas, the pastor of this church, who's been a leader in my life for many years. You guys understand, Jose is a world-traveling evangelist. I mean, you guys got to see him in action this last summer at the Good News Today event in Hillsborough, but the guy, he speaks in front of crowds of thousands and thousands all over the world, telling them about Jesus. He's very effective at what he does. He's had a lot of success in that. He's, he's leading this beautiful and thriving church here in Portland, but he specifically, you know, at that Good News Today event with lots of people joining us from around the city, he didn't mention the name of the church he leads, 26 West, uh, because he didn't want it to be a distraction to the unity of the churches in our city or an obstacle to people coming to faith in Jesus, thinking he's trying to get people to come to his church. And, you know, when you talk to Jose about his evangelism, he does not care if people know or remember the name Jose Zayas. Like legitimately, all he cares about is that as many people as possible would come to know the love of Jesus. And the way that he leads this church, he always tells me about how he has such a great team here at this church. And he's told me he specifically uh, hires and with the, with the elders puts people around him who are, have strengths in areas that are his weaknesses. That's humble leadership and that's healthy leadership, right? Uh, I have a lot of other leaders who I've seen this kind of humility, and every time God uses that, healthy leaders lead with humility. And so this morning, where in your life or your leadership do you need to humble yourself today or confess your pride, maybe before the Lord? Where do you need to admit maybe you've been wrong recently? Is it in your marriage? You need to apologize to your spouse? Uh, maybe in your parenting or another relationship, maybe in some decisions you've been making at this point in your life. Just a reminder, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Where do you need to humble yourself today in your life and your influence? Think about that. Uh, the more you grow in humility, the more you grow in effective influence and the people around you. Let's move on to the next one, though, and I'll pick up the pace here. Look down at verse 16. You guys doing all right? Yeah, 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 great. Verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the first was healthy leaders lead with humility. But second, if you're taking notes, healthy leaders also lead with confidence. They lead with humility but they also lead with confidence. And this is really fascinating because at the same time that the Apostle Paul is being humble and saying he's the worst of sinners, he's just a, a tool that God has redeemed and used for his glory that God chose to use him. At the same time, Paul's saying that God chose him to do God's work. He's saying for the purpose of God's glory, he, he is using me and has redeemed that story to display his patience. He's using me as an example so that others can come to know Jesus. Paul knew where he came from and was totally humble in his leadership, but at the same time, he was confident in God's work in his life and through his life and in who God called him to be. He had the confidence to write this letter to assert his authority over Timothy and the church in Ephesus to instruct them and encourage 
encouraged them. He wasn't afraid of saying difficult things. And at the same time that Paul understands, you know, he's just a sinner who was saved by the grace of God and is a tool for God's use, he has an extremely high confidence in who God is and God's ability to work powerfully through him and his life. And and he is always giving the glory to God. Like in verse 17, he says, God is the king. He's the king eternal, immortal, invisible. And he says, all the glory belongs to him, to God. Paul was confident in his calling, and he was confident in where his power came from. And here's what I want to get across to us this morning. Humility and confidence are not mutually exclusive. Okay, pride at its core, is misplaced confidence. Confidence is not the opposite of humility. Pride is the opposite of humility because pride, of course, is self-focus, self-absorption, where you have a high regard and satisfaction with your own achievements and talents and personhood. But listen, the problem with pride is not that someone has too much confidence It's that their confidence is being directed to the wrong source of power and success, right? It means you're looking for it in yourself or in things that are not the eternal God over all creation. But understand, godly confidence in life is like Paul, understanding it's all about Jesus and his power, and he gives that power to us as unworthy vessels to be used for his glory. Let's take a step back And look at this whole passage from that lens, from a bird's eye view, because I want you to understand everything Paul says that's true of himself since he has come to faith in Jesus is also true for you and I here in this room today if you are in Christ Jesus. Uh, For example, back in verse 12, he said, God gives me strength. God gives you strength. And Paul admits that. He says, God has given me strength. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, right, he, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Really, Paul? You're going to say you can do all things, everything? Like, can you imagine someone today? No, really, I can do anything. That doesn't sound very humble. But in fact, it is very humble because... Notice the source of Paul's strength. He doesn't say there it's his own power or talent or charisma or or knowledge. He says, I can do all things through who? Christ, who gives me strength. There's a godly confidence that comes with that. Also in verse 12, you have to understand, God trusts you as a follower of Jesus. What? That doesn't sound right, Ian. We're supposed to trust God. What do you mean He, he trusts us? That's not in the Bible. Actually, it is. It's right there. Praise God, Paul says, for considering me trustworthy. When you humble yourself before God, he entrusts his work to you, like he did with Paul. And think about that for a moment. He's the God, immortal, invisible, omnipotent. He doesn't need us for his work, but he's relational and he loves you. He loves working through people in relationship. How cool is that? He's entrusted his work to you. He's appointed you for his service and the work of the gospel. Here's a big one that we can learn from Paul today from verse 13. God doesn't hold your past against you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you need to write that down. I'm going to say it again. God doesn't hold your past against you. 
Here's Paul saying, my past, I was a murderer and blasphemer, but God didn't hold it against me. He showed me mercy. When you come to faith in Jesus, he doesn't hold your past against you. I love when Paul says that line where in verse 15 where he says, this saying is worthy of full acceptance. Have you fully accepted that truth over your own life? That Christ Jesus came to save you from your sin. Listen, you may, might have come in here today and like Paul, you might have a past. I don't know what your past is, but understand, if God can forgive and use someone like Paul, the past murderer, blasphemer, he can forgive your past when you humble yourself before God. Have you fully accepted that truth over your life? Have you accepted the truth that Jesus died for your past? And have you let Christ save you from your sins? Have you experienced the grace of God and the freedom, the deep sigh in the soul that I am forgiven before God? It's a beautiful thing. You can choose to accept that today and become a follower of Jesus with your life and, and, and God accepts you. When, when you humble yourself, and come to him. You know, others of you in this room have been following Jesus for a long time, but you need to accept that truth again today. It's worthy of full acceptance. I'll never forget, you know, one time when I worked as a pastor, I worked as a pastor for just about a decade before working for a member new, and one time as a pastor I was counseling a man uh, who was just brokenhearted and devastated about a serious sin he had committed in his life. And I remember saying, pastor stuff to him. I was saying, you know, I want you to know that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, because the price has been paid for your sin, you are totally, completely, and wonderfully cleansed and forgiven for what you've done. And when I was done, I remember the Holy Spirit like whispering to my heart, Ian, do you really believe that? Knowing what that guy did. And, and I remember saying, yes, I, I do believe that. He's forgiven. He's humbled himself. He's come to you. He's forgiven of that sin. And, and I felt like God was saying to me, good, because that's true. But will you now believe it for yourself and your own life? You see, it's easy for me to tell someone else, you're forgiven. The price is paid. You're free. Then it is to accept that for myself sometimes. Some of you need to accept that today again in your own life. Your sins this last week, your failures, your past, as you come to the table today and you're standing before Jesus in humility, you are forgiven. Your past is dealt with. In Christ, you're forgiven. Your future is in front of you. You're a clean slate. God wants to use you this week to influence people for good. You can be confident in that. As a leader, uh, God has poured out grace on us. Verse 14, he's given you mercy and, and good things that you don't deserve. He's empowered you for the work of the gospel. Uh, Paul says, God has given me faith and love. That's what Paul's saying. Are you lacking faith today in your life? Are you struggling to believe or trust God for something? Ask God for faith and he'll give you it. James also says that in his letter. He says, if any of you lack faith, come to God and ask God, help me have faith. And he helps you to believe. He gives you the faith you need. Are you struggling to have love right now at this point in your life for another person? Ask God. He can help you love. You can be a good husband. You can be a good wife. You can be a great godly parent. You can be patient with your in-laws. How? 
by relying on the power of Jesus Christ. He'll give you the love that you need. He'll pour it out on you. You can be confident in that. Guys, this whole list, like Paul is saying, yes, we are sinners in need of Jesus, but when we are in Christ, God can use anyone who places their confidence in him. And healthy leaders lead with this sort of godly confidence, not misplaced confidence in themselves and their own talents, but confidence in the Lord. And to be vulnerable with you guys, this is an area where I've had to grow a ton in my own life, this confidence area. I think, you know, apart from Jesus, human beings falter on either side of a spectrum. Either they gravitate toward pride without Jesus, or they gravitate toward insecurity. Um, you know, either they, they have too much self-confidence or not enough self-confidence. Both, by the way, is a way of focusing on self instead of trusting Jesus. Well, to be vulnerable with you guys, my tendency personally in my life is actually not every time toward pride or thinking that I'm awesome, but my tendency is toward insecurity. When I'm not walking with the Lord, I struggle with cowardice, actually. I run away from opportunities. I shy back from opportunities to lead because I think I can't do that. That'd be too hard. Or I think there's so many other people that are much better at that than I am. Or I'm afraid that I'll fail. And God's really worked on me in my own life to grow me in godly confidence and boldness in Jesus. And I've learned to be okay with who I am. Listen, I've learned, I know apart from Jesus, I'm an idiot. I know who I am, right? I, I'm a, I can be a coward. I can be selfish. You know, I, uh, without Jesus, I, I'll try to use my charm and charisma to manipulate people into getting what I want. And it's ugly and sinful. It hurts people. But I've learned that when I'm walking humbly and I'm placing my confidence in Jesus, having a high view of him and focusing on him and trusting him, God can use me for amazing things. Not because I'm amazing, but because God's amazing. And he can use anyone. He can use you for amazing things as you humbly walk with him. He'll give you confidence to step out and do what he's calling you to. And I've learned to be okay with who God created me to be as an imperfect person when I'm a tool in the almighty God's hands, right? We can have that confidence. Healthy leaders lead from that place. Not misplaced confidence, but confidence in the Lord. For some of us here, you know, maybe the struggle is pride and we need humility. For others of us who are like me, the struggle is we lack godly confidence and courage. Where in your life are you in need of courage this week with the things that you're up against? God can give you the courage you need to take that risk, to step out in faith, to have you know, the difficult conversation maybe that you need to have this week. You are most powerful as a human being when you are fully dependent upon Jesus. Do you believe that? And when we know that our sins are forgiven and our past is dealt with and the all-powerful, immortal, invisible God is with you and in you and working through you, guys, we can do anything, anything with him. And there's a confidence that comes with that. We can lead with confidence this week. I pray that God gives you all the confidence you need to follow and obey him this week in your life and your calling. Last one, look at verse 18. 
says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So last today, if you're taking notes, healthy leaders set others up to succeed. They lead with humility. They lead with confidence in the Lord and they set others up to succeed. Paul is reminding Timothy of his leadership. He calls him here, my son, and he's commanding Timothy. So again, notice, Paul's humble, but he's also confident. And he's telling Timothy that his goal is for Timothy to fight the battle well as a leader. Paul's goal is that Timothy would succeed in his young leadership. Healthy leaders do that. They set others up to do well. When you are humble, when you're really walking in humility and your focus is on the greatness of God instead of your own greatness, it's only natural to also focus on others out of that place uh, of loving and serving others. That's why the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says the second is like it, love neighbors Love your neighbor as yourself. The two go together. And Paul, he modeled this with his leadership. With healthy leaders and healthy followers of Jesus, it's not about the success of the leader. It's about the success of the people you are serving or leading. And again, this comes back to humility, right? When you're leading in a godly way, it's not about your name or your platform, your following, your achievements. It's about wanting others to know the goodness and love of Jesus and for others to thrive in living for and serving him. And with Timothy, Paul does this by reminding Timothy of his calling, affirming his calling. He refers there to the prophecies once made about you. Scholars think this refers to when the elders laid hands on Timothy to commission him as a pastor, and they prophesied over over his life and you know perhaps Timothy received some spiritual gifts when that happened Paul is encouraging Timothy he's reminding him he's saying let's remember the prophecies Timothy you've been called to this I affirm that in your life I affirm your gifting and your leadership and I want to see you do well as a leader young Timothy why because not every leader ends up doing well unfortunately, right? Because there's, there's some leaders who don't do well. Paul was warning against some leaders in the, in the previous passage that Jose looked at last week. There were leaders in the early church who were using bad doctrine and they were twisting the teaching of scriptures for their own gain and they were leading other believers astray. And Paul refers to them here as those who have been shipwrecked in regard to the faith. They've destroyed their faith through their pride and their arrogance to twist scripture to their own will. And Paul's investing in Timothy here. He's saying, I want you to do well, Tim. I don't want you to end up like those guys. Healthy leaders set others up with the tools they need to succeed with training and doctrine, like he's providing Timothy in this letter. Healthy leaders also do this by reminding of calling and affirming spiritual gifts in whom they believe. He's reminding Timothy of the prophecies. He's saying, you know, remember that you're called to this. You're gifted. God is with you. And again, um, I just have to think of Jose. As an example of this, I've known Jose for a long time, and Jose's always taken the time to speak into my life and affirm my gifts and remind me of the calling he knows about in my life. He goes out of his way to do that with me over and over again throughout the years, and I know he's done that with a lot of others, and it's really impacted me. Healthy leaders do that. They, they encourage and affirm. They provide the tools to succeed. One of those tools, however, is accountability. 
when the people you're leading get off course. And the next and final verse, here it comes. Hold on to your seats. Paul gets really intense. He had already mentioned, you know, false teachers earlier in the chapter, but now he names two of them, Hymenaeus and Alexander. I mean, and he, he puts these guys on blast, right? Name drops right here, not in a good way. Verse 20, among them, those who are shipwrecked in regard to the faith, he says, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Handed over to Satan. Can we just admit that the Bible is weird sometimes? Like sometimes it's just helpful as believers to just acknowledge that together. This can be a strange book. Now at this church, we also believe this book to be true. And you know, there's many things, like let's just set the Bible aside for a second. There's many things in our life and world around us that are also very strange, but at the same time true. I think, for example, of pregnancy and childbirth. Very strange. And I, my wife, Sarah, and I, we've had two children now, and I've been there for childbirth twice, and it's very strange when, when they appear. Like, first of all, <laughs> human beings can grow another human being in the womb, and it starts as this little seed, you know, that grows to uh, a size of a poppy seed, and then an apple seed, and then a pea, and then a blueberry, and then all the other fruits in the pregnancy app on your phone. <laughs> And you're watching this happen and unfold. And then, like, when it's time for labor, I won't even get into the water breaking and all of that. That's, you know. But I've been in the delivery room for two children now. And on one hand, it's this really magical and beautiful experience, right? On another hand, it's like violent alien stuff <laughs> happening in that room. Like, how does the human body do that and grow and give birth to another human and, and get it out and, and the, you know, that, that feeds through an umbilical cord inside and is not breathing, but then once they come out, they know <gasps> to take their first breath. It's bizarre, right? This stuff is bizarre, weird, but true. I've witnessed it. One of the things the Bible claims to be true is the existence of Satan and forces of evil, spiritual beings that are opposed to the creator God. And I know that some of you already are thinking, wait, man, you can't compare that stuff to pregnancy and childbirth. I mean, childbirth is you know, scientifically proven, and you can follow it from the beginning under a microscope. But Satan, come on, man. Listen, guys, as Western Europeans, uh, stuff like demons or Satan, for example, may sound a little ridiculous to some of us in the room, you know, many of us tend to think that the demonic is superstitious nonsense from the pre-modern world because today we are educated. We have access to Wikipedia and we know this stuff. Even most people in the American church at times want to think today that all the demonic powers we read about in the scriptures retired in 70 AD and moved to Indonesia where they live happily over there. But what we see in the New Testament and the worldview of Jesus and the scriptures would say that's just not true at all. And you have to understand, guys, listen to me. You and I, in many ways, are products of the Enlightenment and the rise of scientism. Not science. We're big fans of science around here. But scientism is the belief deeply embedded in Western culture that the only thing that is real is what you can put under a microscope in a laboratory. But understand, the vast majority of the world thinks that's ridiculous. I mean, hop on a plane and go to Africa or South America or Southeast Asia where everyone believes in some form of spiritual power. And the real world that the Bible describes is a world in which there is more than meets the eye or can be examined under a microscope. 
and that there's a good creator God who made us to know him and experience his love and there are spiritual powers opposed to the living God and these powers can have a negative influence on our lives. So I I mentioned, you know, that I I work for Remember New. We're an anti-human trafficking organization. Specifically, we protect children from being sold for sex. Uh, Many people are unaware Each year, 1.2 million children are being sold for sex in our world right now, per year. It's a horrible tragedy. Uh, I've seen a lot of good being done to combat it. There's some hope. There's a growing movement to say, let's put a stop to this. We We can end some of this stuff. But I've heard of and seen a lot of terrible stuff in my line of work. And you have to wonder, you know, what? what is it? that would cause a human being to be okay with raping a child or selling a child for money? What what is that? And listen, I believe wholeheartedly in science, I believe uh, mental illness plays a role in some of the atrocities we see in the world today, school shootings and this horrible stuff. I believe in many of the claims claims of psychotherapy, that you and I are in many ways a product of our environment. Yes, yes, but I also believe there are some evils in our world that science and psychotherapy cannot account for. The teaching of the scripture is that this world is actually under the sway of the evil one, Satan, that there are powers opposed to the living God and his people who come to steal, kill, and destroy. But the good news is we can find victory in Jesus as we walk with him. Because through the cross and resurrection, Jesus has defeated the powers of this world. So we shouldn't be naive as followers of Jesus to this kind of stuff, to spiritual attack. But at the same time, we don't have to live in fear and paranoia of it because we have victory in Christ. Why is Paul handing these two guys over to Satan? Healthy leadership at times means exercising accountability and church discipline when Christians are being deceived and refusing to obey God. And we're going to talk about church leadership more in this series, but for today, so we can wrap this up, Paul has apparently excommunicated these two leaders from the church in Ephesus because they had persisted in false doctrine and sin and were leading others astray, harming others in the churches. They hadn't responded to exhortation or repented when warned. They were persisting in doing evil. So Paul apparently reached a point where he kicked them out of the church. Well, that's not very loving, Paul. That's not very gracious to the perpetrators, is it? In fact, it is. You know, the, um, there is such a thing as tough love. I think we get a little more insight in another passage where Paul says something similar. There was a man who was uh, leading people astray and doing destructive things in the church in Corinth, and he says this in 1 Corinthians. If we get it on the side, right about now. Yes, thank you. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Keep in mind, Paul is a good leader. And remember last week, Jose said, healthy leaders are motivated by what? Love. Okay, Paul's not kicking these guys out so that he can get rid of them or make them go away for good. The purpose here is not punitive in nature. It's restorative. Actually, he's actually trying to save them. Uh, Having been a pastor for many years, I worked off and on with people uh, who were in and out of addiction. And maybe... You know, you've experienced a loved one in your life 
struggling with addiction in some capacity, and if, if, you, if you have or are now, my heart really goes out to you. I've experienced that in my extended family. It's just really difficult stuff. But you've probably learned there's only so much that you can do to help others if they are unwilling to help themselves, right? And sometimes uh, with really gnarly cases of addiction where you've exhausted every single thing possible you could do to help them, but they aren't exerting any willpower to follow, that recovery, there comes a point, it's really devastating, when you have to cut them loose essentially to their own vices as a last resort hoping that somehow in hitting rock bottom, they'll find the willpower to take those difficult steps toward recovery. And it's a, that's a horrible thing and you pray that they don't hurt themselves, but you don't know what else to do. Um, Paul is saying these guys, they got so off track in their false doctrine, all this, they didn't heed to sound doctrine, they became prideful, he warned them, we tried everything, they wouldn't listen, so they were handed over to Satan. That sounds really dramatic, but it simply means the church removed its covering of community and accountability from these two guys and turned them over to their own vices, saying, listen, you, you can't be here in this place of the church. Like, you, you want to be deceived by Satan and go live in the world where it's Satan's domain without the covering and community of the church. And it's a hope, though, that they'll, in being turned over their vices, get a taste of, uh, of how bitter their sin is and return and be restored. And Paul's saying, Timothy, I don't want you to end up like those guys, so keep a clean conscience, stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the teaching of scriptures, the community of faith, persist in your faith because I want you to do well. That's what healthy leaders do. They give others the tools to succeed. What a strange verse to end on today. Maybe it's not an accident, though. I think uh, this week, for some reason, God had it. Uh, there's a reminder in here for you and I that life is a fight. There is a battle taking place over your life and your leadership. Did you know that? And there's an enemy. There's an enemy who doesn't want you to live humbly. He wants you to be prideful and think that you don't need help from God or the church. He wants you to stay stuck in your sin and keep you in destructive patterns in your life, uh, wants to oppress you. And, and Satan doesn't want you to have godly confidence. You know, the enemy wants you to live in fear and to never step out in the dreams God has called you to that will bring him glory. He wants you to stay haunted by shame and the guilt of your past. There is a very real battle taking place today over your leadership, over your faith, over your marriage, or your future marriage for some of you, over uh, your children, over your sexuality, over your bank account and how you spend that money, over your future, your destiny. You know, for some of you here in this room today, there's a battle taking place over your eternity. Maybe you have never accepted this saying over your life that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You've never received the forgiveness of God for your sins. And here's how I want to close. For all of us today, when you come to God and humble yourself before him, and you admit, God, I'm broken I'm one of those sinners that you came to save. Save me. And you humble yourself before God. And when you walk in the godly confidence where you focus on him and his power instead of yourself, and when you start living to serve and empower others for the good work of the gospel, when you do that, it breaks the power of the enemy in your life. There is freedom and victory in Jesus. Jesus wants you to fight the battle well. He wants to see you do well, and so do we. 
Would you stand up? Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And we just simply want to humble ourselves before you. Like Paul, we admit uh, in our past, apart from you, we're sinners who need saving. Thank you, though, that as you forgive us and we step into the healing and love and salvation of Jesus, you wipe that away. You make us clean and whole. And you use us for great things. Give people that confidence today that they need for what you're calling them to. You know, as we keep our eyes closed in prayer, maybe you're one of those people I was talking to where you've never fully accepted Jesus' salvation in your life. You don't know that your sins are forgiven, that you're at peace with the Creator God. You've never humbled yourself before him in such a way where you said, God, I'm a sinner, save me. You don't know that you're saved. And uh, with the eyes closed and the, the heads bowed, I'm gonna ask you to do something that takes some boldness and I'm gonna pray that God gives you the confidence to do this. But today, you can respond to Jesus and receive salvation of your own life. And if that's you, would you just slip up your hand in the air? It takes some boldness to do, but just put your hand up where I can see it and I wanna pray for you. I see that hand. Praise God. I see you. God, for those raising the hand right now, thank you that your blood cleanses and you are mighty to save and you heal. And so we place our lives in your hands and we say, save us, Jesus. Forgive us as sinners. Fill us with your spirit and your life. I wanna be a Christian. I wanna follow you. I wanna know you and see what this grace is about. And Jesus, for those here across this room, raising their hands or not, would you right now pour out your grace afresh on these lives as we worship, as we come to the table, as your forgiven people sent out in the world to influence others for good? Would you use us this week? Like Paul, we say, we know who we are apart from you, but with you, we can do anything. Help us realize that again today in your name. Amen. Let's worship.